Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food production and food consumption on a fabulous female Thursday. Okay, qualify this. We're going to have half of today's program, a fabulous female Thursday, because I got J.R. Burdick from Missouri who I stopped by his dairy earlier this week as I was speaking for the Lynn County Cattlemen. And I just had to do a follow-up because there have been a lot of things happened since a year and a half ago when I was there at the dairy. So, JR standing by. But in this first segment, this happened yesterday. You know, yesterday I was in Ransom, Kansas with Simpson Farm Enterprises. And I uh, went back to West Plains, Western Plains High School, which is in Ransom. I had to go back because a year ago, Debbie Fairbanks and I had a fantastic discussion, but technical issues ensued. <laughs> Nobody heard it. There was no audio. So we're back in the school cafeteria preparing lunch. Is this like a deja vu, Debbie it Fairbanks? It is a deja vu. <laughs> it is a deja vu. <laughs> Although you got a nice shirt on bragging about the school this time. Yeah, absolutely. Western Plains, <laughs> Ransom, Kansas is where we find ourselves, and Debbie's about to prepare lunch. So we're going to see what's going on. First of all, you can can you do this and talk at the same time? Yeah, oh, well, absolutely. you're female. You come all day time. That's right. Absolutely. We figure we figure it out. And yeah. we didn't have things like salad bar in school when I went to school. Yeah, we didn't when I was either. We could order a chef salad, but it was made for us. These kids get to go through and um, choose what they want off of salad bar. Hmm. So. Uh, and I have a feeling there's another change since I went to school and you, you know, like 20 years behind me. Um, this yes. i'm betting there's a ton more paperwork yes there is a lot more paperwork um i have to document everything that i prepare and then what is left over at the end of the day so, so it's kind of like feeding cows you go measure the bunks after you after the day to see what what was disappeared yes yes very much so <laughs> so how have things well before we talk about how things have changed Kind of give us a glimpse of where the school nutrition program is now. Um, well, it's there's a lot more guidelines that we have to follow. They can't; they're restricted on the amount of salt they can have, um, the amount of calories depending on the grade level. Um, there's, you know, back when I went to school, you know, I I don't think they had to do that because when I first started here, we didn't um, have to. I mean, I had to document what I made and what was left over, but not to this extent. Um, I so I, I want to interrupt you for a moment because okay. every high school kid today, particularly if they're in athletics, they've got their favorite electrolyte that they want to consume to, to replenish their body and do what they do. And... Debbie Fairbanks, what is salt? It well, it's sodium that it later in life can cause high blood pressure among other health issues. So they tell us. So they tell us. It's yeah. an electrolyte. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's the very thing that we help, we encourage kids to get, but yet we've demonized salt. I pack salt packets around in my pocket all the time. Because if I get to feeling wonky, I just take a little salt packet and boom, I feel better. And yet, we still restrict kids in their salt intake. You're very correct. And I should point out for all viewers, Debbie doesn't make the rules. She That's just right. tries to I follow. I just follow. Them. I just follow. Them. <laughs> as much as as hard as it is, that's that is exactly what I do. I, it's harder than ever kids. to follow the rules. It's tough. I mean, as the kids get older, they don't understand why they can't have different items. Um, there's when, like for grade school versus high school, grade school doesn't get as many calories or they can't have as many grains or different things like that. So there's a day that um, high school gets cookie and grade school doesn't. And of course, they like cookies, but they don't understand why they can't have it. But it just goes into the whole calorie count and and grain count. And, I, and I'm going to go back and, and be redundant with some folks because many people understand this, many do not. This is literally controlled by the USDA, and there's an amount of money that comes to every school district if you follow their guidelines. And really that's what it's about there's a stronghold to do what we say or you're going to be penalized financially and that is exactly what i have been going through back in november i had a review done and there were things that i wasn't following correctly thought that i was was not um, and due to that um, this past week i had to do a nutrient analysis where i had to specifically write down exactly what I fixed, how much was left, um, how how I prepared it, made sure that the recipe I was using is what I was following, um, just a bunch of different guidelines to show that I am meeting those guidelines. Um, I have to submit the information and then they will go through and make sure that I am in the guidelines of the calorie counts um, and nutritional factors or whatever to make sure that I'm not either overfeeding or giving the wrong too many calories, too much salt, too much whatever. I don't add salt to the recipes, but there's obviously items that have salt in them. And I, if there's too much salt, I have to find a different product that will be lower in sodium. So... And the guidelines are set out there, then it's your job to find the food that matches that mm -hmm. guideline? Yes. Yes. So you have yes. some degree of latitude in getting that done? I do. I do. And I have, um, my vendors are very good about helping me find the right items that I need. Yeah, because these are vendors that, that chase, I don't know if that's a good word, but chase the contract for... Thank you. Sorry. Not, no, no. It just illustrates that you are like the mama to how many kids? <laughs> uh, well, right now, I like yesterday, I had over 80 kids that I served, mm -hmm. which has been a big jump from last year. When you were here, I was right around 60, and um, we just we had a big increase. We have students that are coming over two days a week from Healy to get some of their um, like curricular extracurricular kind of like 
shop or oh, sure. facts or you know those different kind of things they come over here to get those many done. rural schools are co-oping and sharing in athletics and shop yes. class and creating better better varieties for students but they spend some time on a bus yes definitely i'm pretty sure it's like 45 minutes from healy to here so so i wanted one to fit <laughs> one way and i want to finish that thought before we go to a break is that you have suppliers that chase those government entities with institutions like schools and know what those hoops are and that's where they come and assist yes yes yeah they have during the summer there's usually a food show that they um present the different items that are available for different meal ideas so it, it it's a gymnastic event continuing to jump yes. through hoops we're going to jump through a hoop i think we got to go to the next station so we're going to do that debbie fairbanks here at western plains ransom kansas everybody knows what ransom kansas is at right no <laughs> all right we've reached our first breaking point first quarter roll route you know, I don't want to take away from the reason that I was in Ransom, Kansas, and that is Simpson Farm Enterprises. Uh, with the dicamba announcement last week, certain dicamba products are going to be removed from the market. Simpson is in the business of getting producers everything they need in terms of tools to minimize pests. We have all these people who want to be negative about chemicals. You cannot be negative about chemicals. Chemicals are part of your life. The number one chemical you need is water. Everybody drinks pesticide on a daily basis. They don't think anything of it. Caffeine is a pesticide. So what we need farmers to have access to is tools that do not impact the environmental health and yet conquer the challenge against insects and weeds. I don't think people truly have an appreciation for what that means. Back in the day when Grandpa had, had, before he had a chemical like atrazine, the number one chemical applied to control weeds, he was tilling that land nonstop. So in today's world, they want you to till the land never and still control the weeds. Apache sprayers have the technology, the innovation, and the service to get that done. High Plains Apaches based in North Dakota and Simpson Farm Enterprises based in Kansas with outfits and reach all the way down into Texas. Chillicothe, Texas is where we were last year. More details about the Apache sprayer technology and everything that comes along with it. I captured some great videos inside of one of these machines. Simpsonfarm.com or highplainsapache.com. We'll be back with more Roll Route and Debbie Fairbanks after this. Welcome back. Trent Luce, Roll Route, Debbie Fairbanks joining us. I'm in Western Plains High School today. On the loose, just trying to get in the way in the kitchen. It's kind of like being home me for me, yeah. Debbie. Yeah. yeah. Just getting away in the kitchen. All right, so... Uh, vegetables, tomatoes actually don't look too bad in Kansas for February. Is it easy to find? I gotta look at the brand on this. Oh, yeah, okay. Not gonna give anybody a plug. Uh, is it easy to find quality produce year round now? Um, it varies. Uh, a few weeks ago, when we had our the heart freeze going on, we had the negative temperatures. Um, when it got here. I think it's just from the cold in the truck or whatever. I had several items that had frozen um, 
looked like they had been frozen. Like my melons, tomatoes I had issues with. They just were very soft. This bunch that I've gotten in has been very good. Sometimes I have issues with the cucumbers. They come in moldy. Um, it just, it really depends. It varies. Yeah, because I don't remember. I'm Again, I'm, I'm reflecting back to grade school, basically. I don't remember such thing as tomatoes coming in. I think if we ever had a tomato, it came in a can or mm -hmm. some well-preserved issue. Mm -hmm. Here you basically have fresh fruits and vegetables, yes. but you have that waste and, and spoilage and all that other that you have to keep in yeah. mind all the time. Yeah, we, we offer a salad bar every day. Um, part of my nutrient analysis, I found out I was not offering, there's five vegetable subgroups and I wasn't offering all of them. So that was another ding that I got. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have the legume offered daily and I didn't have um, a starchy vegetable on the salad bar offered daily. So that is something that I've had to adjust since that has come about. So you got to have a potato salad on the bar? Um, no, it's not potato salad. I actually do frozen green peas, and they have gone over way better than I thought that they would. That's okay. a starchy vegetable? Yeah, yeah green peas. And a legume all at the same time? No, it's um, not under the legumes. The frozen peas, peas are not are under, under the legume. I have to use well, either. Why? I don't know. It's just my category list that's that I go by. It's not considered that. Um, the, the legume that I use is either black beans or chickpeas, one or the other. I alternate between the two. So in our area, we have a local greenhouse that is actually supplying, I believe, seven schools in the area. Is there a movement anywhere locally to do things like that? And then I'm going to um, walk into more of a local supply. There's, there's not a lot that I'm aware of. We do have up in the Grinnell area, there is a greenhouse that does romaine lettuce. I have not personally um, purchased from there. I just I just end up ordering off of my truck. How much latitude do you have and who your suppliers are as the food service coordinator? Um, well, I've never been told I can't do something, so <laughs> I guess I have a lot just of Just keep doing it until they say, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Jury, disregard that question. <laughs> We're going to just ignore that. So uh, aside from vegetables... I'm many examples of local meat producers, well, animal producers, supplying and donating meat, and the USDA does have a program for that. Is that happening here? Um, yes, our, the, like the dairy. Um, it's a local. Um, they get from local dairies where it's produced at. Um, I can't tell you for sure where those are, but, mm -hmm. but they are local. And then we also have, right now there's a um, a grant going around for using local meat. Um, we have till the end of November or the somewhere in December to um, use our allocated um, um, funds um, towards purchasing from local farmers um, for either ground beef. We can use it for meats. We can use it. Oh, I think that one I think is just for meats. Um, so like my ground beef, I can do chicken, um, anything that's within 400 miles of here, hmm. of Ransom. So how tough is it to keep meat on the menu, not necessarily from the pressures to remove meat, but also now we're in a situation where beef in particular, has the inflation of beef cost has been very prohibitive to a lot of people. Have you felt that at the school system? Um, I've noticed it all around. There's... Um, 
all the canned goods, everything has gone up. It's it's crazy to look at what I would have ordered last year compared to this year, what the price difference is. However, I'm also having to order more um, things in. We have more evident or higher higher enrollment. Um, plus, when I had my review done in November, um, I found out that I was supposed to be offering high school a cup of fruit where I was only offering a half a cup. So therefore, I have to order in extra fruit to be able to cover that extra half cup fruit. Um, so just all those different things are costing the school more. Do you know why I'm not a food service coordinator at any school? <laughs> No. There may be a list of things, but <laughs> I would I would get so fed up with all of this nonsense that at the end of the day doesn't help the kids in any way, shape, or form. Now, you're restricted to a half a cup or a whole cup or whatever. You're the food service coordinator. Every kid's not the same. You might need to do something different for every kid. You ought to have the latitude to do that. You ought to say, Debbie, go find the food and feed the kids right. It's no, no more difficult than right. that. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I, I mean, there are some things that... I can't agree with. There are students that I'm pretty sure, I mean, obviously I don't go to their house, but assume that they don't get nutritious meals at home, and at least here they are getting that. Um, but you're not doing breakfast? I do do breakfast. Oh, well, sweet. See, yeah. well, I got here way too late. Well, we didn't do breakfast today because we had a late start. <laughs> But yes, I do I do breakfast every day, and we have a main item, and then they also have the choice of cereal, um, the fruit, juice, and milk. So they can take all of that, or they can just take three of the items. Yeah. That's their, it's not, that's you don't their even, choice. You don't even have milk. You have some skim thing. You're right. It's, yeah. it's Which, either skim or skim flavored or 1% white. <laughs> And let me just take this opportunity to remind every parent and every person who cares about the health and well-being of these kids, we are this close to allowing schools to decide to bring whole milk back. A December vote, one senator caused a problem that did not allow us to get back to saying, hey, Debbie Fairchild, you have the opportunity to bring whole milk into the school if you want to. We need to have that latitude, and it is up to you to get a hold of your elected official and say, make this happen now. Why do our kids continue to be on path of starvation and depredation? I had to give that little plug, because it's vitally important. How is the, the consumption, uh, are the kids eating the food? We hear a tremendous amount about waste. How does that all come together? Um, waste has cut down since they have the option of not taking everything, like at lunch, they just have to have three full components. Like today we're having a barbecue beef sandwich, um, baked beans, um, sliced peaches, and then they'll have the salad bar option. They can take just three of those items. So like the bun is one, the, the meat is another, the baked beans will be another item, and then uh, the fruit, the peaches, and then their milk. So of those five items, they only have to take three. And then they can also have the but option. They can take to go. five. They can take five. Yeah, mm. absolutely. If they want all of it, they can have all of it. Now, whether they eat it or not is do you have a, story, a, a, a way to monitor the waste? Um, just looking in the trash can. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's There's changed images. now, or you're saying that it's kind of stabilized? Um, I would say it's probably stabilized because the, I mean. It depends, because if I have a vegetable they don't like and a fruit they don't like, they've got to pick between the two because they have to take one or the other. And um, yeah. 
that's one of one of the guidelines. I mean, even if even if they were to have the milk, the grain, and the meat, they still have to take a fruit or a vegetable. So they that is one option that they don't. It's not a choice; they have to. So, um, if you were granted authority to run the entire USDA school nutrition program, what would you do? Um, I don't know. I mean, see, I know I what I do. Really. I just say, "Hey, you're the school. You're the expert. You go feed your kids properly." Yeah. Because I, mean, I assure you, Debbie Fairchild, and I'm not asking you. I'm just going to assure you that since this whole USDA program started where they're restricting you on salt and fat and all these other things, the waistlines of these kids has gotten significantly larger. And it doesn't have to do with what they're eating, but the amount of time they spend finger yeah. exercising instead of foot exercising. All right. You haven't gotten a darn thing done in this session. But we're, I'm in your way. Um, just kind of give us a wrap up here, Debbie. It's been fantastic, and I'm pretty sure you'll still be employed next week after this I, actually airs. <laughs> well, I'm hoping so. I mean, I'm still employed after basically failing my review, so. <laughs> all right. It's, it's all good. All good here at Western Plains in Ransom, Kansas, and everybody knows where that's at. I think I better help out now. I've just been pretty much in the way up to this point in time. Trent on the loose, and, and by the way. I'm going to use this as a motivation to go find your local food service coordinator and have a discussion. And there is a huge movement for people providing local food, whatever that local food may be. Be a part of the solution. Don't be like me, just stand on the outside complaining about what's not happening. We'll take a break. As I mentioned in the second half, J.R. Burdick standing by. Certified Piedmontese, the tender beef. You don't need to go to the store. We deliver the tender beef to your door. Details at cpbeef.com. We're back with more Roll Route after this. Welcome back. Trent Luce alongside... Uh, now we're moving to Missouri. I just in the habit of saying alongside it. Now we're going to go back to a conversation that I had. And this is not a fabulous female, by the way. <laughs> this is J.R. Burdick. Fabulous female. Christy didn't come and join us in the milking parlor. But on my way home from the Lynn County Cattlemen's meeting in Linnaeus, Missouri this week, I stopped by to visit with J.R. Burdick. Now it's interesting because it was a year and a half ago I stopped by there after he'd received a letter from his co-op, which happened to be DFA. Oh my goodness, has the world changed on this farm? Let's get to J.R. Burdick right now. Are we milking cows, J.R.? We're going to, yeah. yeah, in a few minutes. You've had some modifications since I was last here. Several modifications. Some yeah. of them you induce, some of them you just respond to. Tell us about the dairy and what's happening now. Well, in uh, the last time we talked, we were talking about the farm program and that uh, our milk co-op was pushing us to sign some things that I just couldn't agree with. And uh, when you came, we were just talking about that. And a few days later, uh, my field man came and he went through the program. It's called Farmers Assuring Responsible Management. Had a lot of stuff in there asking a lot of questions about how much diesel food you used, uh, what your relationship with your veterinarian was. A uh, lot of language that just made us sound like employees, just another cog in the wheel. And it just didn't set right with me. So I, 
I just balked about it. I says, I, says, I just can't. I, I don't agree with this. I've been milking cows for 30 years. I've never seen anything like this. I don't understand why we've got to do it. Um, I've never had any complaints. And he said, well, it's, it is a voluntary program, but if you don't uh, sign this paperwork, you can't sell milk to us. <laughs> like a voluntold program, is that what you mean to say? Exactly. And uh, he kept saying our customers demand this, and, and uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So uh, amiably, uh, about a month later, we parted ways. And uh, I didn't sign the paperwork, and so I didn't keep selling milk there to them. And uh, I want to say, you know, there was there's no hard feelings. The milkman, the, the 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 field man, those guys have been good guys, and uh, the field man's brother and I are good friends. And he milks cows in another state, and we talk. And in fact, I almost bought a bowl from him here pretty recently. But we just couldn't. I just couldn't do that. And uh, so we lost our milk market, uh, basically in November, but it was effective January 1 of 2023. And uh, so I want to interrupt for a moment because while the terminology is different, that was the training ground, so to speak, for now what is being called the sustainability goals and how you're going to achieve these emission standards and reduce your diesel, reduce your nitrogen, reduce all of these things and still produce food. Exactly, exactly. I didn't understand it at the time. I just, it just, set off all these alarm bells and I was like this is just not right so but yes you're exactly right it gave us it gave them the uh, tools to then make up what is sustainability and and what is the requirements and how do they measure that if you've got 80 cows and you're using uh, a lot of diesel fuel to fuel feed 80 cows because there is you know we've been preaching this in agriculture for you know as long as I've been in it you know the the volume is where you make your money, so you you can carry out you know ten tons of feed or one ton of feed, but it might take the same amount of diesel fuel. Uh, so so they use that. They used how much nitrogen you're you're creating, how much manure, how many arable acres of land you've got per cow, all those things, and then they've consolidated that, and now they're using that as their formula for what should be a sustainable. Uh, carbon neutral, you know, all these buzzwords that we hear, uh, dairy farm. And unfortunately, um, small farms are not going to be able to compete with large farms. Uh, for example, biodigesters, uh, they are not feasible financially on f farms smaller than about a thousand cows. You just don't make enough manure to justify the cost. But a large thirty-five million dollars is the average cost of a bio or an anaerobic digester. Right, exactly. Yeah, and you're not going to do that no. on a on a small farm, and so the large farms can do that. They make all this manure in a concentrated area. They sell that methane or the, those gases to a utility or whatever. They get the carbon offsets, and suddenly they become carbon neutral. You know, theoretically, theoretically, yes, <laughs> on paper. Right, on, on paper. paper. On paper. And uh, there's, there's no way a small farm can compete with that. And we get continued consolidation. We get continued uh, uh, detachment of the consumer from the producer because the guy at the top now, he's not even sell, signing the farm program anymore. It's his farm manager that's doing it. He's, right. he's somewhere else. He's an investor. He's doing something else. 
And uh, I got nothing against however big you want to get, but those biodigesters that cost 30, 35 million dollars. I've seen some at 49 million. Yes. But how much of that money is also grant money that's subsidized by the federal mm -hmm. government, the local, state, municipalities to build that? And then once you're subsidized, you become a slave. Exactly. Which is what you saw initially. And, JR, we cannot overlook the fact that most people, based out of fear, just sign whatever piece of paper is brought to them because, oh, I can't lose my market. Right. You took a stand and said, no, this doesn't sound right. Right. And that's, that's really where it came down to me was, am I going to be a free American citizen, a free farmer like my grandpa, my dad, my great-grandfathers, generations before me? Or am I going to become a slave to the system and become their square in their square peg? You know, because yeah. I, I couldn't be that round peg and keep doing what I was doing. And I don't think enough American farmers understand that's where we're at you're going to have to comply or you're going to have to figure out how, how to survive and not comply. And that's what my wife and I sat down. It took us about four or five months to come up with a plan. But uh, we traveled around the state of Missouri, and Missouri's got a very um, lenient law on fresh milk that's being able to sell to um, different, uh, for, to your, straight to your consumer. So we began the process of finding a market. And as a farmer, I had never had to do that before for anything. It was just uh, any excess corn, take it to the local elevator. You didn't think about, is this the best market for it or whatever. My milk, I didn't think about, you know, what's the best place to put my milk. Uh, I just, whoever the co-op was that would pick up my milk. So I never thought really about marketing. I had been set, I had set in a lot of classes and a lot of discussions with my co-op about what the consumer wants, but they always told me what the consumer wanted. Oh, I never, no. I never asked what the consumer that, wanted. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So, so we started, so one day my wife and I went to Walmart and uh, we just stood in To front, study, not to buy something. Right. We just stood in front of the milk cooler and moms would come up and we just, my wife is very good at this. I kind of stayed back and just listened, but she would ask them questions about milk. And we had heard all this stuff about sustainability and about, you know, uh, people's concern about animal welfare and carbon footprints. We probably interviewed 45 or 50 people that day. No one brought up one of those buzzwords. Mm -hmm. This was their main complaint. I buy milk here or at another grocery store. It has an expiration date on it. I'm looking at it, and that expiration date is tomorrow. And I buy it, and when I get home in three days, it's spoiled, and we can't drink the whole gallon of milk. And if you go on anybody's website and you look at the reviews on the dairy case, that's what you'll find is the number one complaint about milk in the stores. And I thought, well, that's just weird. How can you? How can <laughs> Nothing what we've been told. Yeah, and, and so all these people are talking about that. Price was, I would say about 15% of the people talked about price. 85% of the people didn't care about the price. We got to have it. And, and I was sitting there and I told my wife, I said, this is just hilarious to me. Right now in the dairy industry, we have these huge DMC payments coming to the dairy farmers. The price of milk has not been lowered 
even though the dairy co-op is it, the dairy farmer is getting subsidized three four dollars a hundred and i thought to myself wait a second and you know the light bulbs go off they're paying less for me to me for the milk the government's making up this difference supposedly it's never enough and they're pocketing the extra in there they haven't lowered the price to the consumer no. so who's getting the middleman got a bigger cut again and and so after doing that my wife and i we thought we can produce milk fresh get it to the hands of the people quicker that's what's going to be our niche market is just that fresh milk jr we've got much more to get to in terms of how you are marketing this food item today instead of marketing a farm commodity how many of us need to be in this place but willing to do it we'll find out when we return with more jr burdick from lenius missouri on this edition of roll route Well, in today's world, many people are talking about nitric oxide as a part of healthy living, but Dr. Nathan Bryan steps in here because how do we know the difference between one nitric oxide supplement and another one, Nathan? Well, there's several things you look for. Is the people that are that are that formulated or backing that product ever published a paper in the nitric oxide literature? Do they know anything about the basic enzymology and biochemistry of nitric oxide? Because here's what people do. Put a lot of ingredients in a bag or in a capsule and call it nitric oxide. You have to understand how the human body makes nitric oxide. You got to understand what goes wrong in people that can't make it. And then you got to pro- provide product technology that actually fixes the reason you can't make nitric oxide. If you're low in testosterone, you don't give precursors or things because you've lost the ability to produce testosterone. What do you do? You actually give the actual molecules. Same thing with women with hormone replacement. Full details and order the product at no2u.com. That's no number two letter u.com. Put trend as your coupon code and I pay the shipping. Wait a minute, that's not good. Now that we've uh, gone through this uh, nitric oxide scenario, let's talk about Greg Hager music, named the entertainer of the year. And there's no question why that happened, because this guy writes his own stuff. He's the one who, uh, he feels it, he shares it, it's all his package, and he's not in it to be some Nashville guru, he's in it to get out with people, just like myself, to get out with the people. Greg Hager and his country roots will keep you in boots. That means that you will continue to be inspired to produce something and remain rooted in what made this country great. And I say that there's never, never in 247 years, there's never been a more important time to remain rooted in what built the country. GregHager.com for everything you need to know about how to get this guy's music or get him to your event. GregHager.com. Welcome back. Roll route to the program. Let's get back to Gr Burdick in the parlor in Missouri. We're still detaining you from getting the milk done. Milking done. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> this is important as well. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, we cut off at you have just conducted your research project. You figured out that we've been lied to about what the consumers really want. It's very similar to all of my airplane stories because I'd interact with people and people on the plane wouldn't tell me, ask me the same thing that they're telling us they want to know. So you and your wife have decided you're going to tap into this raw milk, fresh milk sales. Yeah. So that was in April. We kind of we had made our, our plunge. 
and and we understood that we had to we had to cater to that niche market so we advertised ourselves or we began to put together a website some other things and we we were looking at it being non-gmo pasture based so you know you, you have in this in this market there's this grass-fed only and there's organic only and and i had enough information and enough knowledge we're going to get dumped on <laughs> literally <laughs> there's going to be some splatter involved yeah. here oh she's pretty good oh yeah. she's grass-based so it's all good yeah uh and there's not a lot of fresh grass right now <laughs> it is february in missouri yes so we we, we made that niche we said we're going to kind of fill this need but fresh milk was the the thing we were going to do so we were getting all ramped up and we had a start date of may 31st we were going to start selling our milk we thought we could get crops planted get that beyond you're still at 80 cows when you make this decision yeah yeah about yeah yep and uh we also wanted to be an a2 a2 herd uh you want to explain that uh that is a milk protein that um the, the jury is still out on it but we found from our personal experience it makes it more digestible so people find that who are lactose intolerant they find that they can drink our milk where in other other places they can't so uh so we we went through we tested our herd we found the cows that were a2 a2 gene positive we kept them we started to cull down the rest of them and uh went forward from there so we found you know, again, we're going into this niche market. So my pride is taking a beating because here I am, this 80 cow milk producer. Right. And it just is wrong to say you're only milking nine or 10 cows, you know. Uh, but we, we reduced our herd. For those that don't understand the pressure in agriculture since I started 1980, but 84, We've always been told you got to capture the scales of economy. Mm -hmm. You got to be out there and you got to, like you, you walked through all of this before, but there was such a pressure from the banking standpoint, from the, the, uh, who you're selling your product to, no matter whether you're selling grain or you're selling pork or you're selling milk, mm -hmm. there's always been this pressure that mm -hmm. you've got to capture these economies of scale. Exactly. So, uh, so we're, we're coming back. We had just visited my son and my, uh, granddaughters out in Kansas. We were driving back on a Saturday in May, May 6th. My boys who were here taking care of the cows called me up and said, Dad, we're under a tornado watch. We're headed to the basement. And uh, about 15 minutes later, we got hit by a F2 tornado. It was two miles wide and stayed on the ground for about 10 miles in this area and just devastated our farm. Uh, we pulled in the yard that night about 1030. Couldn't pull in any of the driveways because they were filled with buildings and uh, just you name it, it was scattered everywhere. Uh, we had, I'd never been through anything like that in my life, but it was dark. The next morning, you know, I come out, can't milk the cows because we have no power, of course, um, and no way to hook up a generator. I mean, the pole was gone, every, sure. it, everything's done. You're just sitting there going like, how do I even operate? The buildings were all piled up in a pile. We couldn't even get the cows in the milking parlor. And uh, I just, uh, I'll be real honest, I mean, there were some tears shed that day. But uh, we just didn't know what we were doing. We were like, we've got this plan. We're supposed to start selling milk. Who's going to come and buy a, you can't even drive in our driveway. Uh, Lord worked everything out. We held off, got things cleaned up, got crops plant, finished planting crops and all those things. And in July, we started, we had our first customer come. And uh, 
buy raw milk from us, fresh milk. And uh, we've just been on this ride since then of communicating with our consumer. And now I just, I get a big kick out of making quality food for quality people. And we've got, we've sold in the past six months, six and a half months, to 200 different customers. And we've got about 50 regular customers that come on a weekly or bi-weekly basis buy our milk and cream. And it is such a liberating thing to know who I'm selling my milk to. And it's been so exciting for us to get to know these people, hear their stories. Here's that, that mom who says, my kids wouldn't drink store-bought milk. And now they're drinking this milk, they're healthier, they're growing. Uh, we've got an older gentleman, he hasn't been able to drink milk for 30 years. He says, I gotta try it, I just wanna know. He can drink our milk, you know? And whether that's because it's A2A2, or I, I tend to think it's because it's not homogenized and it's not uh, been skimmed down. So they're getting full, full fat with the acid. One of the things we don't think about because we forgot chemistry is when you drink skim milk, they take all the fat out of it, which is fat's a buffer, and they give you all the acid. So all you're drinking is straight lactic acid. And then they go, well, my acid reflux just... Right. Went nuts. I also think that when the process of homogenization or pasteurization where it's heated, mm -hmm. that those fat cells change chemically because they're being heated and then they're sure. cooled again. I think that plays a role in what's going on with this lactose thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But I also believe your A2A2 has a big part of it as well. It's a combination of all things. Right, yes. It's, it's like in everything in agriculture... One of the things we didn't, we've done as, you know, I've been farming just a little bit less than you have. We, we came to a point where everybody wanted to be enterprise specific. Mm -hmm. So you were going to raise hogs and then we got to where now you're just going to be a fair order and somebody else is going to feed them and you're just going to specialize on this. You're not going to raise the corn. You're not going to do any of those things. And we stopped thinking holistically like our grandfathers did. So our grandfathers, you know, they had, uh, uh, milk cows they had chickens they had beef cattle and everything on that farm worked together to make the a sustainable environment that was true sustainability sure and so we've we've stopped that in agriculture we've become specialized and now we're just really uh you know people managers on, in a lot of cases yeah that sounds sounds a little different in terms of what could happen than what we had earlier yeah <laughs> so I got to tell you, Jr. That I mean, there's so many things different in your life today. But was it a year and a half ago? I was standing in this parlor, and yep. it was September or so. Yep. And September just, 22. September of 22, and you just your general demeanor, your outlook on life, everything's different. Yeah. You just it's just different conversation because you're making it work with much less of a workload, but yet seeing the bigger picture of you working with your your consumers. Right. And that's, that's what we've lost in agriculture. You know, we, we'll get told by our, our you know, the, the beef association, the dairy association, you know, we need to tell your story. Mm -hmm. But the story is always about this, this formulated, what I'm doing for the environment, all this other stuff. It's not um, who you are and what's going on on your farm. It's, it's, it's how are you meeting the goals of somebody else 
somewhere else who's making up that's a DEI, you know, administrator that's trying to figure out how you fit their narrative instead of your narrative being told. We're no longer going to be dependent on government. We're no longer going to be dependent on somebody else's marketing ability, but we want to be interdependent on our community. And I think that's the one thing that we have, my wife and I, especially, and my son who's helping us out now, we have just decided we want to serve the people around us. And uh, I told the guy, the field man, the day that he was talking about this, I says, God gave me a gift to milk cows. Didn't give me any brains, but he gave me a milk, gift to milk cows. <laughs> I'd take issue with that, but go ahead. <laughs> I said, so I want to honor God by doing the best job milking cows, and I want to love my neighbor by providing quality food for them. And I thought to myself, you know, in the Bible, that's the two greatest commandments. Serve God and serve your neighbor. Yeah. And that's just what I want to do with agriculture. And you've cycled back to the way Grandpa did it. Yes. Yep. Yep. Isn't that interesting? And I find that we've done the same thing in our own operation. Yep. Well, Andrea's standing over there with me. She's going to be inspired to go home and get the milk and cows after this. Oh, well, hey, it's a bug that everybody should be bit by once. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and we've just enjoyed this. Learned a lot, you know. We, we, we thought. Oh, it's going to be diff. I really thought the way I've changed in milking the cows and everything, this is going to be so hard for me. That wasn't that difficult. The hard things have been dealing with social media and, and getting out and interacting with our consumer because now we have to do that because we have to drive our milk sales. Uh, you know, another thing was, you know, people say, How did you do this? And we've had other dairy farmers talk to us, What's your biggest thing? You know, there was a problem with social media, number one, just making sure you do it. You know, carving time out of your day to make sure you connect with your consumer. And then payment processing. I never thought that would be such a huge deal, but you got to, everybody wants to buy uh, on the internet. I know. You know, and then they want to pick up the milk or we deliver. And, uh, you know, I'm not that technologically savvy. And so, I mean, yeah. it, it, so you'll be Venmoing me for this, this episode here. Is that yeah, what you're doing, Jerry? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, those types of things you just didn't think about, but they also brought us closer to the consumer and uh, uh, just been really neat to talk to them, find out what their concerns are, find out how we've been lied to in agriculture about what the concerns are. And yet, going back to what I said earlier, when they talked about, you know, their biggest complaint was the expiration date on that. That is something no farmer can control. We don't no, make the milk. But our processor keeps telling us, you got to be like, you know, New Zealand. You got to be like the guys in Europe. You got, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, why can't you do your job to get fresh milk out there? You pick it up from my farm every day or every other day. It gets there. And then what happens to it? It sits there. It sits on a truck. It doesn't make it to there because they don't have, you know, supply chain issues is always the excuse. And the milk gets delivered to a, a grocery store with an expiration date that's that day or the next day. Yeah. And then people say, well, they don't like your milk because, well, you're not doing, you know, you're not whatever they blame on the farm. I have no control over that. That's on you. And, and now uh, we bottle milk. People come and get it that day. Uh, we've had people stick it in the refrigerator. I wouldn't recommend this, but... They put it in the refrigerator, stick it to the back, wait two weeks, pull it out, and they say it tastes the same as the day they got it. Now, I wouldn't do that, but... J.R. Burdick, I don't know if we're talking about a new outlook on life or the old outlook. 
to feeding people that we're bringing back. What we do know is the world is cyclical and you have found a new way. Thank you, Jr. Thanks, Trent. Good to see you. It's always a pleasure. From Lynn County, Missouri. With that, we've journeyed down the path connecting food producers to food consumers. All roads do lead to a roll route.